You are listening to a sermon from the First Baptist Church of Ewing, a Christ-centered church in Lewis County. If you would, uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Joshua. Uh, We are going to be back in Joshua chapter 14 today, looking at verses uh, 1 through 15. Um, I know uh, over uh, the last month or so, we take kind of a break from that book. Uh, We've been looking at all of the different strategies in the Bible uh, to see how we can be like that city on a hill, uh, shining the light of the gospel down into the darkness of our communities Uh, But now we're going to dive back into the book of Joshua, and we're going to look at the second half of that book. Um, And just so you know the direction that we are headed uh, over the next few months, uh, we're going to spend six weeks finishing out the book of Joshua, and then we're going to finish out the year uh, by doing a five-week series on Advent, uh, looking at some of the Old Testament prophecies and how they foreshadowed Jesus's arrival on earth. So that means we've got six weeks to finish this book, uh, but we still have 12 chapters to get through. Uh, So today, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read to you from Joshua chapter 14, uh, but uh, what, what I want to talk about as we look at this chapter is is I want to look uh, a little bit broader and kind of an overview of everything that's going on between chapters 13 through 19, because they're all related to one another. So basically what I'm saying is, is we're going to try to cover uh, seven chapters today, but I promise that we will still get out on time. Uh, But then over the next five weeks, uh, we'll look at each of the last five chapters of the book of Joshua. Uh, But before we do any of that, let me go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Father, we just come to you and just ask that you would just help us focus during this time. I pray that you would just allow our minds to switch gears as we go back to the Old Testament and the book of Joshua. Uh, Let us remember those truths that we have already discovered here uh, and help us also to see new and even deeper truths this morning as well. And through it all, Father, I just pray uh, that you would point us again to the message of the gospel Help us to understand the freedom, the salvation that we can have only through uh, the death and the burial and the resurrection of of Christ. Um, I just ask all of this in Jesus's name. Amen. Um, So I'm going to read our text for us in a moment. But before I do that, I want to begin with a story. Um, I know as Southern Baptists, we don't Uh, venerate any of the saints like the Roman Catholic Church does. Uh, But I've heard it said many times uh, that if we did, then the the patron patron saint of Southern Baptists would have to be uh, Lottie Moon. Uh, We love to talk about the impact that Lottie Moon had on missions and the important influence that she had on young women. And we even have an annual Christmas offering that we collect in her name, and 100% of that money that we raise, it goes to support other missionaries like her. Uh, But the irony is, is not that many people really know all that much about her life and the story of Lottie Moon and who she was. 
but she was born in 1840. So that's five years before our denomination even began. Um, and when Southern Baptists first created the Foreign Mission Board, as it was called back then, um, initially they didn't allow for single female missionaries to serve abroad. They thought it was too much of a safety risk. Uh, they thought that it would be, you know, there'd be too many hardships for women if they traveled uh, alone overseas without their husband or without some kind of male presence to protect them. Uh, but Lottie Moon and her sister helped convince the Southern Baptist Convention of the desperate need that we had for more missionaries. Yes, there was a need for more men to serve, but there was also a vital role for women to play as well. So Lottie and her sister uh, became the first two single women uh, commissioned by the mission board to serve as missionaries in China. Uh, and if you know anything about her story, it's probably the fact that Lottie Moon was a force to be reckoned with. Uh, she was only four foot three. Uh, but that miniature missionary uh, had a very fiery and passionate heart. Uh, she served as a missionary in China for almost 40 years. Uh, and during that time, she almost never returned stateside. She hardly ever took a break from what she was doing, um, even though the locals gave her the nickname of the foreign devil, because they'd never met an American before, so she uh, really stuck out there. Uh, but even, even though uh, all the, the hardships that she faced, she continued to faithfully serve. Uh, she learned how to dress in traditional Chinese attire. Uh, she learned and became fluent in the local language. Uh, and as a result, she was finally accepted into that community, and she was able to share the gospel of Jesus with countless individuals. Now, as a, a woman, she mainly focused on ministering to other women, uh, and she would often orchestrate ladies' Bible studies, um, and she didn't believe that as a woman that it was her place to preach uh, to the men that were around her, uh, but so often there weren't any nearby men there serving as missionaries. Um, so the story goes that she would typically orchestrate a ladies' Bible study and all kinds of men, a lot of the husbands would show up and they would want to hear what she was saying, uh, but she would make them leave the room. Uh, she'd tell them to go away, but so often she would see them standing just outside the door with their, their ears kind of pushed up against the wall, trying to listen in. So what she would do is she would speak to the ladies in a really loud voice. Uh, she would raise her voice, and if the men standing outside, if they just happened to hear her preach, well, then there wasn't much she could do about that. Uh, so that's one story about her, but she was also a very avid writer, uh, and uh, she sent many of those letters that she wrote back to the United States, and almost all of them were urging our denomination to send uh, even more missionaries to aid her uh, in her efforts in advancing the cause of Christ uh, in China. And I just want to read a quick excerpt from one of these letters. Um, in it, she wrote, 
uh, 30 miles uh, away from Pengtu City, which is where she lived, uh, there is a gold mine. And nestled close among the low-lying hills are two foreign houses and the buildings over uh, the mine. Uh, and several American miners are there in the employ of the Chinese government. And these men are living a hard, dull, isolated life in a remote region, far from home, far from friends, with the sole purpose of worldly gain. One cannot help asking, sadly, why is love of gold more potent than love of souls? The number of men mining and prospecting for gold in Shengtung is more than double the number of men representing Southern Baptists. What a lesson for Southern Baptists to ponder. So Lottie was always an advocate for missions. She was always writing more and more letters, uh, urging Baptists to raise up an even larger army of missionaries. Uh, And Lottie herself was a faithful missionary until the day she died. Uh, Over the years, if you've heard this story, uh, you know that there were numerous uh, famines that the locals around her faced uh, where she lived. And so she actually began uh, giving out her own food uh, to the local children uh, so that they could have just at least a little bit more to eat. Uh, But because of that, So malnourished did Lottie become that the decision had to be made by the Foreign Mission Board to make her return to the United States because she was in very ill health. Uh, This was when she was 72. Uh, She'd already been serving for 39 years as a missionary. Uh, But by the time she boarded that boat to return home, uh, she had already shriveled up so much that she only weighed about 50 pounds. And she died at sea shortly after leaving harbor. Uh, So she never even made it back to American soil. Now, I tell you that story because her story really is such an extraordinary example of what it looks like to live your life for Christ, even to the very last. It reminds us also of the lives of Joshua and the lives of Caleb and the lives of so many of the the Israelites that we are going to read about today and how their lives were also faithful to the Lord, even to the very end as well. So what I want to do this morning, uh, I, I kind of just want to go ahead and give you uh, the main idea of this text that we're going to look at. Um, and then I want to show you three different examples of how it plays out uh, in the lives of different groups and in different individuals. Uh, So I I know I haven't read the text to you just yet, but if I can summarize for you uh, really all of of Joshua chapters 13 through 19, uh, but then even more specifically chapter 14, it would be that uh, it would be to say that your confidence should never cease because you have a God who will never fail. That's what all of these chapters, if you could really just summarize them, uh, I think that's what you could say in just a single sentence. 
Your confidence should never cease because you serve a God who will never forget. He, he will never fail you uh, and he will, he will never forget you. That's the, really the, the main idea here. Uh, so hold on to that idea in the back of your mind. Write it down in your bulletins if you'd like. Uh, and now I want to see three different examples. I want to show you three different examples of how this plays out as we look to the text. Uh, first, I'm going to look to the example of Israel as a whole. Uh, and then after that, I want to focus in a bit, and I want to specifically look at the examples of Joshua and the example of Caleb. So first, let's look at the example of Israel as a whole. Uh, and to do that, I'm going to go ahead and I'm just going to read the first five verses of our text, and then we'll look at the rest of the verses later. But here, uh, from the word of the Lord this morning, Joshua chapter 14, uh, verses 1 through 5, says this. Uh, These are the inheritances that the people of Israel received in the land of Cana, which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers, houses of the tribes of the people of Israel gave them to inherit. Their inheritance was by lot, just as the Lord had commanded the hand of Moses for the nine and one-half tribes. For Moses had given an inheritance to the two and one-half tribes beyond the Jordan, but to the Israelites he gave no inheritance among them. For the people of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, and no portion was given to the Levites in the land, but only cities to dwell in, with their pasture lands for their livestock and their substance." And the people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses, and they allotted the land. That is the word of the Lord. So uh, just for your information, or just kind of as a reminder, if you already knew this, uh, but the book of Joshua really can be broken down into two halves. There's the half that we've already studied as a congregation, chapters 1 through 12. A lot of people see that as the more exciting part of the book. Uh, where Joshua and his army go and they conquer the promised land of Cana. Uh, But then you also have chapters 13 through 24, which are often overlooked. They're not as well studied. Uh, And this is where the land is divided up into different territories and is allotted to these different tribes. And those five verses that I just read, I think they do a pretty good job at summarizing all of what is going on in the second half of Joshua. There's one tribe, uh, the tribe of Levi, that's not going to get an allotment of land uh, because they're going to work throughout the rest of the land to serve as priests. Uh, Then there are two and a half tribes that are, uh, they've already been allotted land on the eastern banks of the Jordan River because that land over there was really good pasture land uh, for their livestock. Uh, But then over the course of chapters 13 through 19 of Joshua, uh, it's going to be Joshua's responsibility to allot uh, the rest of that land to all of the other tribes that are going to settle on the western banks of the Jordan. And some of this land has already been conquered. And we've read about all of those battles in the first half of Joshua uh, and how they fought the Canaanites and conquered a lot of this land. Uh, But some of this land that you hear Joshua a lot and divide up, some of this land actually hasn't even been taken yet. So if you showed 
Joshua chapters 13 through 19 to any of the Canaanites that were still uh, living in that land. Uh, These uh, seven chapters are are really almost like a a written down map that Joshua wrote down describing all of the, the boundary markers. And if you showed that map to those Canaanites that were still living there, Uh, That would be a pretty awkward conversation really quick. I mean, they thought that that land was still theirs. You know, they still have settlements there. uh, But they're going to realize pretty quick that it's not going to be theirs for much longer. And what this means is that the Israelites are really uh, living in what you could call an already but not yet. I mean, on paper... This land is technically theirs. Uh, There are clear border descriptions that are marking out all of the different lines that are going to be drawn between the different tribes. Uh, But even though the land is already theirs in one sense, it's not quite yet theirs in another sense. Uh, Even though the the land is is already there, it's still not quite theirs just yet. This newly formed nation has not really come yet into uh, full fruition. There are still many pockets of rebel forces that are scattered all throughout Cana. And so there is still much fighting that needs to take place before everything comes fully under Israel's control. And, And I just want us to think about that for a moment, because as followers of Christ, We are in a very similar situation. We we also live in the already but not yet. Uh, During Jesus's ministry on earth, he spoke about the arrival of a kingdom, the kingdom of God. And in fact, uh, he even went so far as to say that he was the one inaugurating this kingdom and that because of his arrival on earth, that this kingdom was now at hand. And if you've committed yourself to become a follower of Jesus, if you've submitted your life to him and his lordship, then the Bible tells us that you're actually a part of that kingdom. Uh, The Bible actually says uh, in the book of Philippians that your citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. So, So you could say that you are an American citizen, But even though you are an American citizen, according to the Bible, your primary passport should say that you belong to the kingdom of God. But but here's the thing. When you think about that, if you look around you at at this present age, at this world, it's going to become pretty quick, pretty clear very, very early on that the fullness of Jesus's kingdom uh, still hasn't arrived even after 2,000 years. And that means, as I said, that we are living in this already but not yet. I mean, you are a citizen of heaven, um, and when your time on earth is done, uh, you will pass over those waters of the Jordan. You will enter into that heavenly, eternal promised land, uh, and you will come to discover that a portion of that land has been allotted to you by name because your name has been written in the book of life. Yet right now, as we speak, sin and brokenness, they are still very much a present reality. 
There are still pockets of evil that are scattered all around us. And so even though Jesus has already established his kingdom in your heart, you're still going to have to spend the rest of your life fighting to bring all areas of your life under his lordship and control. You're going to have to spend the rest of your life slaying and subduing all of those remaining strongholds and settlements of sin that are still scattered around your soul. Because, again, you're living in that already but not yet. You are a part of Christ's kingdom, but that kingdom has not yet fully arrived and fully come into being. So that's the example you see of the Israelites as a whole, this newly formed little nation Uh, They should have continued confidence in the Lord, um, and their confidence should never cease because they serve a God who will never forget. I mean, he promised the people that they would inherit the entirety of this land of Cana, so he will be faithful to fight for them until all of this land is theirs. But secondly, I also want to kind of focus in And I want to look at the example of Joshua. Uh, To do that, we actually need to kind of backtrack for just a moment. Uh, I want to look at the very beginning of Joshua chapter 13 at verse 1. I know I said the main focus of our chapter uh, today, our our main focus is on chapter 14. Uh, But more broadly speaking, we're covering really everything going on between chapters 13 and 19. Um, And so in chapter 13, verse 1... We are told that Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. So Joshua was already old uh, when the Israelites first crossed the Jordan River and went into Cana. Uh, But they've been in Cana for a while now, fighting many battles. And so now Joshua is even older. There has been a lot of wear and tear on his body. Uh, There has been uh, a lot of mileage that has been put on him. Uh, But what does the Lord say to him in that first verse? What does he say to this gray-haired, wrinkly old man? He says... There remains yet very much land to possess. Now, let me just give you the Richard Ulrich translation of that really quick. Uh, This is the RSV, the Richard Standard Version. Uh, What the Lord is saying here is, Joshua, yes, you are old, but there is still a lot of work to do, so get to it. He's telling Joshua Don't just kick back in your recliner. Don't go out and play another round of golf. Don't lay on the beach somewhere and work on your tan. Joshua, you need to get up and get at it. And that statement right there, I just just want us to, to focus on that for a minute because that lets you in on a little secret about the Christian life. Some of you... I hope have already realized this. Uh, To some of you, this may come as a a bit of a surprise this morning. But what the, the Lord is essentially saying here is that retirement doesn't exist for Christians. 
Even if you retire from your job, you don't get to retire from the Christian life. That there really is more work to always be done. So Joshua's example shows you that the responsibilities of a follower of the Lord, they do not diminish with age. Now, those responsibilities, they may change. You know, maybe some responsibilities that you had previously taken on, maybe those get shuffled around. Maybe you pass the baton on to those who are of a younger generation. Uh, but just because of the kind of responsibilities that you have, even though they may change, that doesn't mean the number of responsibilities you have as a Christian will ever diminish. If you scan through the second half of the book of Joshua, you're not going to see him fight all of the same physical battles that he fought over the course of those first 12 chapters. Now, he's not physically able to go out there and always lead the charge as he once did, but that doesn't mean that Joshua is going to be any less busy. I mean, he's going to be hard at work dividing up all of this conquered land and allotting it to all of these different tribes. So regardless of age, just like Joshua, every Christ follower on earth still has a job to do. You are to actively always be fighting against the sin that is in your heart. You are to live, no matter uh, how young or old you are, regardless of your age, you are to live a God-honoring life. You are to always be praying for other believers. You are to always be, be using every breath that the Lord gives you to continue to proclaim the good news of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection to everyone around you. So if, if you still have breath in you, if you still have a pulse, uh, if you've stepped outside and you, you haven't yet heard those trumpets sounding from Revelation, which, which announced Jesus' return, if you haven't heard those trumpets yet, then don't sit down. Like Joshua you are to get up and get at it. There is still more work to be done. So those are the first two examples. We saw uh, the first example with the Israelites. They're in this already but not yet reality. You know, they have the, the border lines of their nation. They've been drawn up, but there are still all of those pockets of resistance within those borders. So, so they need that confidence that the Lord will continue to fight for them. And they need to remember that the Lord is not going to forget that promise. That was that first example. We saw the second example in the life of Joshua. And now even in advanced old age, his confidence and his trust must continue to be in the Lord, relying on the Lord's strength and not his own. Uh, but then lastly this morning, I want to give you a third example as well. Uh, and this may be my favorite example that we see here. Um, I want to look at the life of Caleb. Uh, to do that, I'm going to go ahead and read the rest of our chapter today. So this is Joshua chapter 14. I'm going to read verses 6 through 15. Uh, so here again from the word of the Lord. Uh, then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of uh, Jephunneh, 
the Kenizzite said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But brothers uh, who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance to you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years, since that time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old, and I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. And and it may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. And then Joshua blessed him, and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. And therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. And now the name Hebron formerly was uh, Kerith Arba, and Arba was the greatest among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. So, Uh, In the last half of the book of Joshua, you see Joshua divvying up all of this land to the different tribes. And in order to do this, all of the tribes, they sent representatives to a place called Gilgal. And the very first individual who steps forward at this gathering and who wants to claim an allotment of land that he is due is this man called Caleb. And the fact that Caleb's request comes first, it's very fitting. Because Caleb, if you don't remember, he was one of the 12 original spies who went out to scout out this land back in the book of Numbers. So Caleb, along with Joshua, they've already had seen this land that was promised to them, and they were ready to take possession of this land over 40 years ago. But the other spies, they were all afraid because in the midst of all of this milk and honey and the grapes that they saw in that paradise, in the midst of all of that also lived giants. They saw a people called the Anakim uh, who were large enough that they made everybody else look and feel like grasshoppers in comparison. And so the spies... Uh, And the leadership of Israel, they took a vote to decide what to do, and Joshua and Caleb were in the minority. No one uh, other than them wanted to take on this fight. And in fact, everybody else, they were so upset with Joshua and Caleb because they weren't afraid of those giants. Uh, They were so upset that they wanted to have them stoned to death. 
They, they wanted Joshua and Caleb killed, and it was only through the Lord's divine intervention that they were saved. So Caleb, he had been wanting to take on the Anakim and their wickedness ever since he was 40. So he, he, wasn't, he wasn't able to cross into Cana until he was 80, and then he's been in the land fighting other battles the last few years. But just because Caleb didn't get the opportunity until he also was advanced in age, just like Joshua, um, that, that doesn't mean he is going to let his age stop him. Just like Joshua, Caleb's confidence in God never ceased throughout the years because he knew that his God had not and would not forget. Uh, Numbers, uh, book of Numbers, uh, chapter 14, verse 24. This was over four decades prior to the events that we are studying today. This is the promise that Caleb was given The Lord said that my servant, Caleb, because he was a a different spirit, he has a different spirit and he has followed me fully. I will bring into the land into which he went uh, and his descendants shall possess it. So he will bring him into that land and his descendants shall possess it. That's the promise that the Lord made to Caleb. Now, even though he is 85 years old, Caleb still fully believes that the Lord is going to make good on his promise. You know, others thought that he couldn't stand a chance in that fight against the giants, even back when he was a younger man. But now God is going to give Caleb an opportunity to do at 85 what others thought he couldn't do when he was 40. And so I want to talk more about that and specifically what we can learn from this example. But I also want to give you just a little bit more insight into the character uh, and nature of who Caleb was. Uh, And specifically, if you uh, know more about his name and what it means, you can actually learn a lot more insight into his personality Um, So this is your fun fact for the day, if you didn't know this. Uh, But the name Caleb, it actually comes from the Hebrew phrase meaning wholehearted. And so it can be used in Hebrew to mean one who is faithful. Uh, But interestingly enough, uh, it can also mean the word dog. Uh, That's a very different word. Uh, But ancient Hebrew is a much smaller language than modern English, so a lot of words often carry uh, multiple meanings. Uh, But if you think about that kind of loyalty and that kind of faithfulness that many dogs have towards their owners, well, it makes sense that the same word could be used to mean both dog and one, you know, who is faithful. And, And so this really is an appropriate name for Caleb uh, when you think about him, because he has certainly been loyal to the Lord like a faithful dog for so many years. But but even in addition to that, he's also got a lot of spunk and tenacity still in him, like many dogs have as well. Even at 85, this man is still scrappy. I mean, he still has some bite left in him like a bulldog. I mean, just look at verse 12 and you can see that. 
Caleb, this man named Dog, looks at his longtime companion, Joshua, and he says, at 85 years old, he says, give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke to that day. Caleb's in his 80s, yet he wants to go and climb a mountain. He doesn't just ask for uh, just any portion of the land. He doesn't say, hey, Joshua, uh, is there a portion of the land with a lot of shade trees where I can hang up my hammock? Uh, he doesn't ask if there's an allotment of land that's kind of a quiet beach somewhere. He says, give me the hill country. Let me go climb a mountain to those fortified cities filled with those Anakim giants. Let me go and show them who is boss. He, he's been looking forward to this fight for 40 years or more than 40 years, and he's not going to let a little thing like age get in the way of seeing this promise that he has been given from the Lord. He is going to see it come to pass. As we think about that, as we think about our church, I pray that we would all desire to be like Caleb. My prayer for us is that just like Caleb, we would all have that desire to cry out to the Lord saying, give us the hill country as well. Let us not grow comfortable. Let us not rest on any of our past laurels. I pray that we wouldn't let our spiritual muscles grow weak or flabby because we've just been sitting around doing nothing. Let's go find, as a church, let's go find a mountain to climb. Let us eagerly take on the spiritual challenges of this community and get to work sharing the gospel. Even if the opposition that we face, even if it appears to loom as large as a giant, and even if we feel tired, um, even if that vision or the promise that the Lord has given us, even if it feels kind of like a long-distant memory, no matter what our circumstances, my prayer is that we would remember, just like Caleb, that our confidence should never cease because we have a God who will never forget. We can tackle even the hardest spiritual challenges that come our way, and we can even climb the side of even the steepest mountains if that is what the Lord has called us to do and if he is the one who is fighting on our side. That's how Lottie Moon survived so many hardships for so long as a missionary in China, because she understood this reality. That's how Joshua and Caleb were able to continue to live so faithfully and to faithfully serve the Lord even uh, into old age. And that's how we will be able to follow in their footsteps as well, by trusting in the strength of God's promises, particularly in the hope that is only found in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. So, so my prayer for you today is that by trusting in and by holding on to that, that promise that we have of that restored relationship with the Lord that, that we have through the gospel, that my prayer is that that would be what sustains us all to be faithful servants of the Lord, 
even to the very end of our lives, um, and even to our very last breath. I pray that we would continue to be faithful and that we would continue to be used by the Lord. So let me pray. Father, uh, thank you. Uh, Thank you so much for these examples that we have set before us in your word. Uh, We have the the examples of of both Joshua and, and Caleb and just the Israelites themselves, Father. Thank you. Also for the examples that we see throughout history uh, and through women like Lottie Moon. I mean, there are so many faithful saints that have gone before us and who have so faithfully run the race. Uh, So, Father, I just ask that you would just use all of these examples, uh, not just to give us, you know, history lessons or to, to, to give us more knowledge or information, but just to teach us how to better be followers of the Lord as well. Teach us to be like Joshua, who continued to press on even into old age. Teach us to be like Caleb. And may we be willing to to even ask for the hill countries, rather than just pursue uh, lives devoted to our own comforts. Um, We just ask all of this in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.